future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. I hope you are hearing me. It has been a morning of little work gremlins and tech gremlins uh, kind of showing their selves this morning. Uh, I apologize for the late start. It is Friday, April 1st. I was not trying to pull an April Fool's Day. I swear to God, not happening. But it is Friday, April Fool's, April 1st, 2022. Welcome to Raging Chickens Friday Politics Roundup. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can help support the show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Just head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can also help out the show by heading over to YouTube page, our YouTube channel, if you're not there already, that is. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for the show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time we go live. On today's show, uh, the original plan for the show kind of got a little derailed from, uh, from a few things. I won't go into details as to all this stuff. But anyways, uh, we're going to look in. We're going to we'll do a little bit of a condensed version of what I wanted to do today. But good stuff. Amazon workers bid to unionize is looking pretty good. At the end of yesterday's vote count at Amazon's Staten Island facility, the yes votes for the union stood at 57%, according to Reuters. Now, vote counting continues today, but union organizers are feeling pretty good, a little cautiously optimistic. Um, You know, you don't want to kind of, you know, count your chickens before you're hatched or anything like this, but they are uh, definitely encouraged, at least, by the day one vote count. Meanwhile, new information shows that Amazon spent $4.3 million in their anti-union campaign just this past year. So, costs are going up because of inflation? It's not because of, like, corporations spending millions of dollars on frivolous lawsuits in order to keep their workers down, right? Right? I don't know. And Florida Governor DeSantis signed the Don't Say Gay bill this week, and the right wing is doubling down on their anti-gay and anti-trans culture war. Like, look for more of that coming to a school board and an election near you. And Oklahoma's abortion ban sets its sights on completely gutting Roe v. Wade. We saw what happened when this Supreme Court allowed Texas to go ahead with its kind of mercenary anti-Roe, anti-abortion bill that just opened the floodgates now. And now it's the rush from these like freaking Republican dominated states to basically see who can go more extreme more quickly. And Oklahoma is definitely kind of quickly out the gates looking to gut Roe v. Wade as a whole. It's insane. A little bit closer to home, county judge orders five Westchester area school district Democratic board members to be removed. Kick them off. Why? Well, because they supported a policy to keep the district's masking policy in place. That's right. The case calling for the removal of the board members stems from a lawsuit filed by Beth Ann Rosica. She's the executive director of the right-wing PAC Back to School PA. 
and she is fresh off her landslide defeat in her bid to become Westchester's mayor. Here we go, folks. Here we go. They're already using the courts as a way of getting their way and circumventing Democratic elections. How about that? Speaking of school boards subverting the future of democracy, here in the Penridge School District, yep, school board basically took its uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion committee, you know, the community committee that they formed after they tabled their last DEI initiative. What do they do? Uh, they mothballed it. Yep, put it on hiatus. That's what we get when we get QAnon people dominating on our school boards. Boy. And the big story that I'll spend a little bit of time on today is it seems to be it's an inflection point for Pennsylvania's labor movement. There was a newly appointed president of the PAAFL-CIO this week, and it turns out he's got some skeletons in his closet. And Rick Smith, yes, Rick Smith of the Rick Smith Show is basically taking out the laundry. He's saying there is no way that we should have a labor leader at the top of the Pennsylvania AFL-CIO who has a history of abusive behavior toward women. What, say you? Yep, it's about time we do some public accounting here. It is one of those moments, which side are you on, Pennsylvania labor movement? Which side are you on? On today's last call, the dungeon run. Yes, the dungeon run. A little dungeon run. The Dungeon Run, the uh, their Heroes of Bingle D&D campaign came to a close this week. Um, you've heard me talk about it on the show before. Um, this, uh, I got to say, a, a super shout out and thanks goes to the show creators and the uh, the actors for that show or the, the, the player characters for that show. Uh, Jeff Kanata was the DM and the kind of mastermind behind the, the campaign. Um on a very personal note, um, it really got me through uh, just a kind of a really rough transition back um, in the fall. And uh, it kind of, over time, really provided a little ray of hope and joy. Um, at the center of their campaign was empathy. And they closed out the every single show with the humankind be both. It was uh, a model of how we can tell stories, collaborative stories, with care at the core. Anyways, I'll say a little bit more about that. Yep, well, if you missed it last night, you're not going to want to miss it anymore. Uh, for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your streams. Make sure you subscribe to his podcast and check out where all his shows are at therigsmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. My guess is, is that his weekend Colin show at WBII is going to be pretty active after just what, what went down last night. And yes, season two of the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast is now flooding your streams. You can find it on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And attention all you gamers out there, the Gay Man is 
a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, and loads of collectibles, action figures, and Funko Pops. Like, literally an entire wall, or might even be two walls now, of Funko Pops. And the kids, like, they get all A's on the report card, they get a discount. Boom! Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at TheGamin. That's with two N's. That's at TheGamin. If you got a question about a game, look for something hard to get, just shoot them a message or drop them an email at TheGaminPA at gmail.com. And a special shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. And check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at SongAdayMan. That's with two N's at, at SongAdayMan on Twitter. Well, I'll tell you, we've got quite a uh, lineup coming up on Out to Coop Live the next few weeks. Um, this Monday, April 4th, we'll have David Backer on the show. David's got a great piece out. Uh, he's, a, he's a professor down at Westchester University in Educational Leadership and Policy Studies. And he's got uh, a new piece that came out in Descent Magazine called Toxic Finance. And it's looking at basically starting from that premise like you look at what had happened during covid right um what it exposed in terms of our schools the crumbling infrastructure of our schools but he takes us a step a step further by checking into the the tox toxicity in the way that we finance school improvements right and of course it's rotten to the core so we're going to talk about his article and talk about some of the work that is going on um to combat that um, so David Backer is going to be on. David Backer is going to be on on Monday, April fourth, and then a week later, we've got Shanna Danielson will be back on the show, um, digging into what's happening in education um, and you know a whole bunch of politics across the state. So she'll be on on the eleventh, and then uh, I'm going to stop there. We've got some uh, a couple really good shows coming up toward the end of the month, which I am so freaking stoked about. Um, but I'll save that for another time. I don't want to spill all my beans yet. Want to remind you, look, if we want a progressive future, we need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches homegrown progressive media today by becoming a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media in the movement, the movement, the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month by going to patreon.com slash rcpress. And, you know, I got to say, I was going to say this one. I'll say this one more thing um, just uh, on the kind of patron pitch here. Um, you know, there's a reason. And when we talk about uh, what happened, what went down at the Rick Smith show last night, um, you'll kind of get an inkling of this. But I'll tell you, there's a reason why when I started Raging Chicken, I knew that, you know, I was I, 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 I there's a few things that I did that um, were consequential decisions in some ways. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the biggest the biggest barrier to doing something like this, um, the two biggest barrier, three biggest barriers, right? It's just like anything else, right? Time, labor, and money. And unlike the right wing, um, the left or the broad-based progressive left does not have, you know, angel angel billionaires that are dropping huge sums of money in our back pocket, right? To help support our operating costs and all this or to provide a salary. So most of us who do this are doing it on the side, doing it as a second job, doing it as a, just like just like I am. And shows that are attempting to go out and succeed, right, or kind of want to make sure to dig down and kind of serve a movement are always looking for sources of funding. Now, when I did, when we moved into the podcast, even when we were first uh, doing primarily kind of writing um, at, at Raging Chicken Press, 
I made a decision not to reach out to major organizations for, for um, support. And I kept on hearing from people, again, people who are well-meaning, people who were just trying to help, that I should be reaching out to um, a bunch of these organizations. And there was just this nagging pit in my stomach that I did not want to be in a situation in which somebody could threaten the livelihood of this show right because i said something that I, that they didn't like i just i just could not get that now the problem with that of course is it puts a real cap on your reach right because if you're trying to self fund or you're trying to kind of fund from from members and patrons right it means that you can only go as far as your funding is going to take you you can only go as far as the community is willing to support the work, right? Now, I'm lucky that I have a, I, I work at a place, I have a union job, right? I have a, a, a good place. I have a lot of flexibility in my time. I work a lot, <laughs> a lot, but I have enough flexibility in my time that I can schedule stuff in like this, right? So I've chosen to, you know, focus on this project. Um, and because I have a union position and a contract and stuff, I'm able to put some of my money towards this project, right? But most of most of what supports the show, most of what's what keeps us on this air, most of most of, of what has enabled me to kind of expand into this podcast arena, bring on kind of guests on the Out to Coop Live on Monday nights, um, and then continue to reach out to folks and looking for ways I could contribute to the community um, comes from people like you, right? Patrons, the patrons of our show. The people that have gone on to patreon.com slash RC press and they supported us with as little as five bucks a month. Right. We've had a few people who've come on. They've, they've supported us for a while at 50 bucks a month. There's some other people who support us at 25 bucks a month. Right. But that's really the lifeblood. Without that, this would be an occasional thing. But instead, we do it on a fairly regular basis, which is pretty amazing. But there's a cap on it. And, you know, if I really wanted to kind of basically quit my job and do this full time, I, I wouldn't be able to fund it on my own. I'd have to find somebody to kind of invest in this. And frankly, there's only a, only a limited number of pots you can go to that are out there that, are, that have the money to fund something like this. Now, I've learned over the years that um, that always comes with strings attached. And that's the compromise I wasn't willing to make. So here I am. So anyways, um, I didn't mean to go into that as much at this point, but here I am. So anyways, big news today uh, when it comes to Amazon. Um, the Amazon workers uh, look like they, well, I, I don't want to jinx anything here. <laughs> Let's be clear. Let's not get ahead of myself. Um, but uh, last night um, when voting was, um, when the voting concluded, um, the tally was at 17 42, right? 1,742 votes for the union and only 1,300. Um, wait, let's make sure I got, I'm going to the right one. Yep. Only 1,300 against, right? Um, and this is being overseed by the NLRB. Now you remember what happened in this, the, the original um, kind of attempt to unionize and move forward here. There's all sorts of, as you'd expect, Amazon um, committed all sorts of kind of unfair labor practices, um, worker intimidation. They fired workers, which is against the law for the union activity. Um, 
And but here they go right now. Chris Smalls, who is one of the leaders, uh, lead organizers um, for this, um, formed the um, uh, Amazon Labor Union. Right, it's an independent union um, at that Staten Island facility. Um, you know, this is this would be huge, right? A victory, as it says in Reuters, a victory for organized labor at the second largest U.S. private employer would be historic, right? Um, for it'd be the first one in uh, the history of the United States um, to unionize an Amazon shop. So this would be pretty amazing. So follow that up. Um, I'll follow it up now. In the uh, the flip side of that, um, you remember that there was the uh, the organizing drive down in Alabama. Um, in that case, it didn't go as well. Fifty three percent of Amazon workers in the Alabama Alabama site um, voted against unions uh, of, of, of against unionization. Um, it's still not a final outcome, um, but uh, so you know it's a mixed bag. But the Staten Island one huge facility would be amazing. I believe there's like five thousand workers at that site. So we shall see. So that is a huge, huge kind of victory for the labor movement. And it shows what happens, right? It shows you what happens when workers are organizing. They're willing to be militant. They're willing to kind of not compromise on their uh, on their demands. They're willing to build solidarity in their workplaces, right, across all sorts of differences and conflicts, right, and come together to, um, and just say no to those kind of working conditions that they're faced with. And they're going to say yes to um, kind of kind of a democratically um, elected union, which will then be able to bargain for wages, hours, and conditions. So, kudos to those folks. And Amazon's fingers crossed that um, that that nearly sixty percent margin holds uh, throughout the day today. So that's some good news. Amazon, according to a recent article in HuffPost, Amazon is, for their part, decided that they would spend about $4.3 million in effort to beat back unions, right? This was their anti-union campaign. Um, this is according with new filings with the U.S. Department of Labor, um, finding out that, yes, Amazon indeed spent a good $4.3 million to defeat the union. Um, well, and we'll see where that gets us. This is a little bit from uh, from the HuffPost article. The disclosures from the Amazon offer, uh, I'm sorry, the disclosures from Amazon offer a glimpse into how far the online retailer is willing um, to go to stay union free. Many employers hire anti-union consultants to hold meetings with workers and dissuade them from unionizing, but none seem to match the scale or price tag of Amazon's efforts. Over the course of just one year and its and its sprawling warehouses. Workers at Amazon's Bessemer, Alabama Fulfillment Center were required to attend frequent meetings where they heard anti-union talking points from consultants at the run-up to a union election early last year. Workers ultimately voted um, against joining, which we just talked about. Um, but federal officials ended up ordering a new election after Amazon um, had broken the law, which is what just happened. Um, the company also deployed consultants at a warehouse in Staten Island, New York, last year, where workers began to organize a drive towards an upstart Amazon labor union, that independent union. Workers voted in a union election um, at that facility in recent days, and the results can be known as early as today. All right, it goes on. Of course, Amazon did not respond to comments. What's interesting, the Amazon consultants, when they submitted their filings, uh, it turns out that they were getting just about $3,200 a day for their work. $3,200 a day. So this is the kind of thing where, you know, we need to be kind of thinking about where the profits are going right now, um, where the money is going right now. Um, last week um, on the show, um, 
we talked about this last uh, week on the show. This is why the kind of Bernie Sanders, let's see, Bernie Sanders, uh, uh, Ed Markey, and Ed Markey and um, Jamal Bowman introduced legislation for a windfall uh, windfall profits profits tax. Right. In other words, it's like you know these companies are making hand money hand over fist. The profits are skyrocketing, right? And meanwhile, we're experiencing all these effects effects of inflation. Right. And so it's interesting. Right. Record profits for something like Amazon, record profits for the oil and gas industry, record profits for corporation after corporation that is taking the lion's share of the increase in the GDP since um, since 2008. Right. And they're scooping up all the profit. Right. And forcing us to pay more so they can continue increasing their profits. These are companies who are not hurting. When you hear this stuff, oh, if the prices go up, they're going to pass it on. They're going to pass it on to consumers, right? And they're going to pass it on to consumers not because they need to, but because they can. Because they want to continue their just insane accumulation of capital and, and, and money. That's what's got to stop, right? So you got on the one hand, you got to, you know, there's like, look, there's a two-pronged thing that's got to go on here. On the one hand, right, we've got to kind of like get behind the kind of organizing that we see happening at Amazon's warehouses, right? If this goes through, it's going to be huge. At the Starbucks unions, right, workers beginning to organize and basically take control over the workplaces. Not somebody coming flying in from some kind of office in Washington, D.C. to come and organize. No, but workers themselves organizing their unions. And then on the other hand, we need to stop. We need to start cutting off the kind of unfettered accumulation of wealth from these corporations where that windfall profit tax starts to chip away at that a little bit. Because what happens for the most of us? The most of us were told, like, there's no money. And it is such a load of crap. It's such a load of crap. So here we are. Here we are. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, congratulations. Hopefully we'll be uh, going out this evening to the Amazon workers who were organizing. Um, man, I hope so. I hope they win this. Amazon Labor Union. And so there's a good news for the day, I guess. The bad news is that uh, the right wing is basically going all in on the culture war. And so now we know uh, after they kind of battle tested their uh, uh, their kind of anti anti gay conspiracy theories, their critical race theory nonsense, their anti masking culture wars. After they kind of, you know, basically market tested that during the school board elections for this past year, now they're kind of uh, doubling down on that and everything they can do. So we see Florida Governor DeSantis as he kind of gears up for a presidential run in 2024, um, signs that don't, don't say gay bill, right? Um, it's, and it's, which is which is insane, right? So um, oh, I should say I should well, I'll get to that in a second. Besides, that don't say gay bill. Right. Um, and championing this as protecting our children. Right. Think about what the what the kind of the unsaid is in that. Right. 
you know, because what's happening here, too, as well, it's not just that there you have this kind of like just don't say gay bill. Right. You're no longer able to talk about. Right? You, you imagine this. There's basically says in this bill from K, if you're between, you know, um, kindergarten and third grade, teachers are not allowed to basically discuss same sex couples. It can't even be part of the discussion. So what do you do if you have a kid whose both parents are women or both parents are men? Think about that kid. How are you protecting that kid? You're not protecting that kid. You're teaching them to be ashamed. And that is disgusting. That should never be part of what we do in our public education system. The second thing it does, there was a great discussion on this in the majority report earlier on this week. Great discussion on this. The long history of the right wing trotting out, we're doing it for the children, the protection of the children, as a way of defending white supremacist, patriarchal capitalism in the post-World War II era. And what it does, it, it, and this is why, this is again, this is where it dovetail, dovetails with everything this, of these about these QAnon conspiracies. The assumption is, and this is you hear right wing politicians say this out loud, that the reason why a teacher would talk to their would include things in their classrooms that would include. I don't know, a story about a family that has two moms or two dads. The reason why they're doing that is this is what they, it's, it, it's crazy. They're saying that they groom, they're grooming the kids for abuse. I literally had to just, I had to not throw up a little bit in my mouth. I had to force myself to keep it down because that's how much it disgusts me. What these people are doing. absolute warpedness of this, the backwards of the, the backsliding that we are willing to put up with is incredible. The Republican Party is the party of destruction. It is the party of white supremacist patriarchal capitalism. Let's, I mean, I hate to have to say all, but there it is. There it is. And they will use religion. They will use conspiracy theories. They will lie. They will cheat. They will steal. They do not care. Pointing out these people's hypocrisy doesn't matter because they don't care. They have no shame. Now, there might have been a time when you knew a Republican Party that was different than that, or at least some Republicans who do that. But now the base of the Republican Party is that. I wasn't thinking about talking about this today, but if you could look at some of the polling on this, about the percentages of uh, the percentages of Republicans that are polled who believe things like the election was stolen, right? That uh, name the conspiracy that's coming out of the QAnon stuff. It keeps on creeping up year after year. More and more of the Republican base, your average everyday Republican is in bed with the extremist conspiracists. 
and there you go. You need more evidence of that? All right, let's go to Oklahoma, shall we? Yeah, Oklahoma. Little abortion ban. Here, this is, uh, I was going to read you a little bit of this from the PBS NewsHour. So as the fate of Roe v. Wade hangs in the balance in the Supreme Court, many states are moving ahead with their own restrictions on abortion. Oklahoma State House, this is from yesterday, Oklahoma State House voted 78 to 19 to pass a near complete ban on abortions in mid March. Uh, oh, sorry, in mid March. Legislation that would go further than this Texas six weeks ban on which it was modeled. Under the Oklahoma bill, abortions would be banned immediately after conception unless it met one of two exceptions. One, to save the life of a pregnant woman in medical emergency or the result of rape, sexual assault, or incest that has been reported to law enforcement. The bill, which abortion rights advocates call the strictest anti-abortion bill in the country, have passed is now headed to the state Senate next week for a vote. What do you think is going to happen when this gets challenged? Well, I should say this, too. With Republicans holding more than 80 percent of the state House and Senate seats in Oklahoma, they are taking advantage of the largest supermajority in state history to push restrictions that appeal to their passionate partisan voter base, which is the majority of those Republicans in that party. Idaho just did the same thing, right? So now these are going to move forward, right? This will end up in the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court has already told us what it's going to do. That Texas one was this was the case. Oh, yeah, look, as long as you just have a vigilante, usually, have, you know, individual citizen vigilantes going out and going after people who have abortions and suing them for $10,000 a pop, that's fine. Yeah, we could strip away your constitutional rights for that. Sure, no problem. As long as the vigilante's doing it. State can't do it. Vigilantes, yes, sure, no problem. And now Oklahoma, Idaho, Oklahoma. This is what's coming. It's already here. What do you mean what's coming? It's crazy. So that's what we got, right? That's what we got in uh, in Oklahoma. This is where we're, this is what we're facing. You know, I mean, this is. I ha I am I'm I have to say the one thing I'm thrilled about right now is that I have I am getting almost daily messages calls knocks for people who are looking to sign petitions to run to organize stuff to kind of come out and do door knocking and in the entire like you know I've lived in I've lived in Pennsylvania since 2002 I've lived in Bucks County since 2008 and since I've been in Bucks County, only once has anybody ever asked me or knocked on my door to sign a petition or anything for a campaign. Democrats. Republicans have, not Democrats. That is changing. It's a it's a it's a tough haul ahead. But that is, I mean, if we have to look for a silver lining, that's it. My people are organizing. So <clears throat> say more about that so two more things i want to touch on before i take a little break and then I'll, we'll come back we're going to talk a little bit about what happened on the rick smith show last night what's going on in uh pennsylvania labor movement <clears throat> but first um a couple things that are happening here and then i want to kind of like uh, let you know about a, um, a new project that i've got going on <clears throat> so uh down in westchester 
Um, there were five Westchester area school district Democratic board members who were re- who are being ordered removed from the school board because basically they kept they voted to keep the masking order in place. <clears throat> so now, just so I don't get this, and this is again right wing big money coming and do this. So let me just I'll read this for you. This is coming from the uh, the Times of Chester County. Written by Mike Began. <clears throat> so it says, a Chester County judge moved Tuesday to remove five members of the Westchester Area School District Board of Education on what he termed a procedural issue, saying that neither the school board members or school district responded in a timely manner to a petition seeking the removal. Now, this is really important. You'll, it's, it's great. Right. Anyways, the Court of Common Pleas Judge William Mahone, I'm sorry, that shares part of my name, <clears throat> Order the removal of Sue Tiernan, Joyce Chester, Kate Shaw, Karen Herman, and Daryl Durnell, based upon a removal petition brought by Beth Ann Rosica in February over the district's mask policies. Right? Who's Beth Ann Rosica? You're about to find out. Now, all five that were being asked to remove are Democrats. Rosica, a Republican, just lost a bid for mayor of Westchester last year. Similar petitions have been filed in other Chester County school districts, including Downingtown and Coatesville. Rosica is also the executive director of Back to School PA, a political action committee funded by Bucks County venture capitalist. Yeah, that's right. You guessed it. Paul Martino. Back to School has been the driving fights against school districts using the fictional issue of critical race theory, a college graduate level topic um, related to structural and ongoing racism not taught in the county's K-12 public schools and masking policies. The Westchester Area School District ended its mask mandate earlier this month, as did most schools in the region as COVID-19 case numbers dropped. Seemingly making the primary issue the driving recall for the recall petition, um, whatever. So signed by 10 residents in the district on mood issue. Mahone did not rule on the merits of the petition based on this provision, but said that the district's and board members' lack of response forced the decision. It's expected to be appealed. Now, I'm looking for this one part. Uh, I had it. I thought I had it highlighted here, but it's not here. Well, I'll just say this. So had to do with this kind of procedural stuff. There were some mitigating circumstances in there, which basically they would have had to like like reply in an impossible timeline. Right. And it was kind of set up as a way to do this. So it's like, here you go. They're getting removed because they wanted to keep your kids safe. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. And then in Penridge School District, yep, the Penridge School Board put its Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee on hiatus. You remember, we've been talking about what's happened in Penridge for quite some time now. And uh, all those folks that were there to really try to do good for our kids and basically kind of making sure we've got a good DEI initiative here in our schools, we're saying that, look, Joan Cullen and the, the school board from the Penridge School Board was basically just delaying stuff, drawing it out so they can get rid of it. And here you go. 
for all you naysayers out there, I said, no, no, they're not doing that. They're just trying. No, no, here you go. This is what this is what they've been working for. They've been working for creating a context, creating a a a a premise that they could use to say they need to put it on hiatus. And there we go. This is what happens when we elect right wing extremists to our school boards. So I don't know. So I want to say one thing here. The um, I've been <clears throat> I've been thinking about this for a long time, right? I've been thinking about this for different ways that we can help here at Raging Chicken. And one of the things that we know, right? Um, for if you've never heard us talk about some of the uh, failures of our political infrastructure, um, one of the things that we um, have been looking for is like, oh, well, how do we actually build power from the ground up? Right. How do we find sources of support and funding to ensure that we get the best candidates that are elected? How do we invest in our, say, progressive or even just basic organizational infrastructure? <laughs> How do we make sure that we're constantly not having to beg at the feet of outsider Democratic consultants for support for our work? How do we ensure that we get to control the messaging? That it's time to stop just playing nice and pretend that we're not in a battle for the future of multiracial democracy in our county and in our country. Right now, Bucks County is at the center of this fight. It's not the only center. I shouldn't say the center. It is a center. It is a critical place in this fight. Why? Because it's a critical district where we have an increasingly kind of like turning blue county and an uptick in extremism like we're not seeing other places across the state or even the country in some places. Remember, Pennsylvania sent the second largest number of people to the January 6th insurrection. That stopped the steel rally, right? Was funded, or at least getting people there from Pennsylvania, was funded by some millionaires and billionaires right in Bucks County. Right? And we just saw what just happened, right? We just saw what just what just happened with... Uh, when people try to draw attention to this, when people are basically saying, like like Ashley Ahas, right, who's running for representative, congrats, like running for Congress in the PA's first district against Fitzpatrick, when she points out the fact that a Bucks County billionaire, millionaire, whatever it is, funded buses to go to the Stop the Steal rally, what does he do? He sues her. It's called a slap suit. Cyril Michaleko had a great piece on this. This past week. It's you file a frivolous lawsuit and because you have all this money and your opposition does not, you create a kind of culture of fear. And you force the other side to just kind of respond to the nonsense because he got his feelings hurt. 
And frankly, there's not something like this on the other side. And like, I'm like, we need to do something. So I'll put the link for this in uh, today's show notes. You're going to see more about this. I'm not show notes. I'm going to put this in the uh, the chat right now. <clears throat> and what this basically is, uh, so I started up this thing. You can see this. Uh, it's on this side. Nope. That or I can't get my finger to go right. I could never do that. The, that way over there. <laughs> uh, top uh, time to end extremism with school boards. So I got so I started up this raging chicken community fund, right? Because it's time to re- reclaim our school boards from the extremists. And I'm going to be reaching out to folks. I'm going to say you can help support this. You can contribute to this fund, right? And I'll tell you this is right from the facts on the page, and I'll tell you what it is what happens to the money. If you donate to the Raging Chicken Community Fund, right, this is what's going to happen with that money. One, it's going to help fund social media campaigns to support candidates that we deserve for school boards in Bucks County, PA, and across the Commonwealth. One. Two, it will fund social media and traditional media campaigns to expose the toxic agendas of school board candidates funded and supported by the extreme right wing. Three, it will provide organizational support for grassroots and progressive organizing. And four, it'll help support Raging Chickens podcast and media work to spotlight and report on critical issues facing Bucks County and the Pennsylvania region. What I would love to be able to do on this space is to have make sure that we are constantly bringing people on from the school boards. We want to be able to kind of start saying, we're going to we're going to go look. You've got this right-wing money, this right-wing dark money that's coming in. You know what? We should be having people, we should be able to find money for people, not just having every bill do this on a voluntary basis, but we should support research into tracking this kind of crazy extremist money flooding our school boards. We've had amazing people doing incredible work in uncovering this stuff, but you know what? We're all doing it fitting in in between making dinner, dropping our kids off at school. We need to basically say we need to value this work and we need to support it. Most of the people who have been organizing around these school boards have done amazing organizational work, but guess what? Nobody, nobody had in-depth training on how to do this and best practices. Nobody had organization institutes and things like this to be supportive. Nope. And what happened when a lot of these candidates were kind of going forward and then you got the kind of outside Democratic consultants fly in? They come in with advice that has nothing to do with the struggle that is happening on the ground. Because we have failed in this county to build an organization from the ground up. So what do we need to do? We need to invest in organizing. Invest in the deep canvassing. And you know what? Not just when we have an election coming up, but nonstop. We need to build out our infrastructure. And we're going to hope that this is going to be a small contribution in that in that direction. We have these independent media projects that are kind of going on throughout Bucks County. Right? And because of the way that our lives are structured, and because we do not have like any kind of really meaningful infrastructure built up that allows us to plug into this stuff. We're all doing it on our own. So what would it look like to start bringing people together and asking how together that we can support each other's work? That's the kind of thing that this fund can invest in. 
we can be a bit of a tip of a spear, right? And I'm not locked in to Democratic Party politics. Raging Chicken is an independent thing. This is what I was saying before. They can hate me all they want. But what I know, my kids, I've seen what my kids' lives have been put on the line because of what's happened in the school district. No more. No more. So we're going to look for look ahead for that. We're going to be kind of pushing this out this week. The Raging Chicken Community Fund. Let me see what we can do. All right. So in the meantime, this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. You can help support the show by heading on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can do that right now, actually. Um, you can also help out the show by, you know, head on over to our YouTube page if you're not all that, there already. Make sure you like the show. Share it out. Subscribe to this channel, right, and support the work that we do. Tweet it out. Thanks to my Twitter warriors that are out there who are always kind of like boosting the signal of this show. Right. You can help the show in a way, get the word out and bring, you know, got to bring some sanity back, everybody. All right. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Rage Chicken. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk about what's happening in with the PA labor movement right after this quick break. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1929. It was the first day of the strike at the Loray Textile Mill in Gastonia, North Carolina. Textile mill workers in the South were paid significantly less than workers in the North. Child labor restrictions were not strictly enforced in many Southern mills. To make matters worse, in 1927, the company hired engineering experts to study the Loray Mill. Their goal was to figure out how to drive down labor costs even further. The plan they concocted was called stretching out. Under the stretching out system, each worker had to keep an eye on more spindles for the same pay. Pleased with the idea, the company laid off a third of its workforce. When the National Textile Workers Union came to town for an organizing drive, the workers were more than ready to strike. Vera Buck Weisbord, one of the union organizers, recalled. The women talked about the stretch out, how you needed roller skates to run from one side to another. You couldn't cover so many. They talked about how their children would get sick and it was so hard to give them any care. The strike soon became violent. The mill bosses evicted strikers from their company housing. Masked men destroyed the union headquarters. A gunfight broke out at a strike camp, wounding several. A police officer was killed. Dozens of strikers were arrested, but no one was convicted. After the shooting of the officer, violence against the strikers increased. One day, a strike organizer and labor musician, Ella Mae Wiggins, was shot on the way to a rally. She had five children. No one was convicted in her case either. Sadly, after her death, the strike was defeated. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. Hey, everybody, everybody, welcome back. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. 
Here we are once again on our Friday Politics Roundup. So today I'm devoting the second part of the show just to talk a little bit about what went down last night and what will continue to go go down here. The um, Pennsylvania AFL-CIO, right, was, a, you know, the AFL-CIO, American Federation, uh, Congress of Industrial Organizations, right? Um, they are the kind of main overarching labor body, right? They are the... Uh, they're, they are not a union themselves, right? They are a federation of unions, right? The AFL-CIO is very often the one that is looked forward to when you're kind of saying you're representing organized labor. It is the organization of organizations, right? And every state has its own federation, right? So Pennsylvania AFL-CIO um, is, you know, based in Harrisburg and now that's kind of connected to, you know, has unions such as AFT, is unions such as um, the building trades, as unions such as the steel workers, as unions such as the uh, um, AFSCME workers, right? So, I mean, it's a fairly big association. Well, their longtime president, uh, Rick Bloomingdale, um, retired. And so they had to uh, elect a new president of the AFL-CIO. Right. And this is the person who's kind of out there in front. And they elected a person by the name of Frank Snyder. Okay. Who had been the vice president for a long time. So what happened after he was elected, right? He was elected on here. uh, Rick Smith, the Rick Smith show, broke his silence on an issue that has been in the background is a, you know, a not so secret secret about some of the history of 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 this person who is now the president of the PAAFL-CIO for now. So Rick took to Twitter and I'm going to read some of his tweets for you so you kind of understand it, right? Um and you should really check out his um his show from last night. All right, I have the, the link in today's show notes here. I'm just going to put it in the uh, link. From 3.31.22. It's his opening... It's his opening monologue. That's the, the link to Twitter. You can also get it on YouTube. If that doesn't work, uh, I can send, I'll put in the YouTube link too as well. So anyways... Um, so this is what he says. Rick says, today has been a long day of listening to the stories of women who have been abused by newly minted PAA AFL-CIO President Frank Snyder. I am regretting not speaking out sooner. It is time for labor to live its values. Next tweet. I now see what it is like to come out against a man in a powerful position of an esteemed institution and the lengths people will go to protect him. I expect a cease and desist letter soon and have had our show's funding threatened for telling my truth or for telling the truth. I cannot imagine what it is like for a woman who desperately needs her moderately well-paying job and good benefits and what she is willing to put up with. Understand the PAA, the PA AFL-CIO has two contracts that divide men's and women's work and pay accordingly. This must not stand.
He also writes out, Union Women of PA Unite. If you've been mistreated or harassed by the newly elected president of the PA AFL-CIO, now is the time to step forward and be heard. You will be believed, and we are here to demand the horrible ways of the past change now. This time, it will be different. Another tweet. As I am talking to women who have worked for and around the PAAFL-CIO under newly elected President Frank Snyder, it is clear the use of confidentiality agreements are a major obstacle to women telling their stories. As a labor movement, we should demand an end to such tools of abuse. Another one. To all the PA labor leaders still in Pittsburgh area, at the PA AFL-CIO convention, that's where he just got elected, that's where the convention is, you still have time to reverse a terrible choice for president before the gavel falls. History is watching. Women deserve a representative worth of their respect and admiration, not one that abuses. He says another one, Pennsylvania just set the labor movement back a generation. How can you attract women to the labor movement when the PA AFL-CIO is now being led by someone with a history of misogyny and abusive treatment of workers? Workers can do better. Another one, since coming out against the PA labor delegation electing Frank Snyder, president of the PA AFL-CIO, my email and DMs have been slammed with stories of what a horror, horrible leader he has been and to many stories of abuse and harassment of women. This is not a good day for American labor. That went off like a bomb in labor circles. And you know how it went off like a bomb? Because nobody's, all the folks in the labor movement aren't commenting, aren't retweeting, aren't even arguing against them in public because they know. The leadership knows. And I know for a fact that there are people who are affiliated or work with the labor movement who are afraid of speaking out. I'm not talking about people who had, I'm not talking about people who had experienced the harassment from him. Like, I, like again, Rick knows these people. I'm just telling you what happened. But I know people who work in organizations, right, that are connected to the labor movement, who might, might not even know who this guy is, who are afraid of speaking out publicly on Twitter or on Facebook because they're worried about retributions if they do. Rick rightfully called this a which side are you on moment for Pennsylvania labor movement. He says workers in Pennsylvania are in a classic which side are you on moment. Do we accept the status quo of failed leadership with the baggage of abusive behavior toward our sister members? Or do we organize and demand better? Apparently today, the executive council, the PAAFLCO, is having an emergency meeting about, about their newly elected leader. 
And so two things are going to happen to that meeting, according to Rick. He says they're either going to, one, fire Snyder, hashtag, hashtag fire Snyder, or they're going to get together to try to get their story straight and handle this with a PR offensive. I'm telling you, anybody who does labor research, any labor reporter that's out there needs to be following this like freaking what do they say like uh i can't think of the metaphor needs to be on this because we are going to watch what happens the choices that are being made today about whether or not they allow this guy to move forward and how they come out and deal with this is going to define what happens in the pennsylvania labor movement at least those unions that are are under the pal afl cio tent now, remember, not too long ago, some unions broke away from the AFL-CIO because they didn't like the way they're dealing with organizing. SCIU is one of them. SCIU is like the, one of the fastest growing unions in the country right now. And SCIU is not part of the PAFL-CIO, for example. But those folks who are at that convention, they know. Rick also tweeted, said, I am getting ready for the onslaught of attacks from people who don't know better. They believe they are defending an honorable leader in a newly elected PAAFL-CIO. Don't be fooled by their attacks on me. This is not about me. It is about the women he abused. I saw some of these attacks start to pop up on Rick's feed last night. And I tweeted out, said like, hey, look, let's be crystal crystal clear. Calling out unions and labor leaders for systemic sexism and abusive behavior is not anti-labor. Calling them out is a precondition to rebuild the labor movement as a force for equity, justice, and democracy. Get it straight. The fact is, look, Rick said this on his show last night, which the link is in there. And what here's here's I'll give you the 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 rough breakdown. Rick was basically saying when he had somebody come to him and told him about his abusive behavior. When he witnessed Snyder demeaning someone publicly and yelling at them and bullying them. He went to the then, the guy, the the big boss, he went to him and said, this has got to stop. You've got to control him. You can't let this happen. And Rick was given assurances. It's going to be dealt with. And this is what Rick said on the show last night. He said that he made a deal. He basically said to him, look, you're telling me I'm going to trust you to take care of this. And Rick was assured that there will never be a day when that guy becomes a president of the PAFL-CIO. And Rick said, okay, I'm going to trust you to do the right thing here. I'll let you handle it, and I won't go public with this now. But if he ever does, just know. Well, as soon as it happened, as soon as Frank Snyder 
was elected president, Rick followed through on what he said he would do, like he always does. On the show last night, and his show last night, he also goes out and he explains and he apologizes, and he is beating himself up right now for not going forward sooner. And he says he should have. But he believed it. And now some of those very same people, according to what he said last night, some of those very same people who promised him that this would never happen are pretending they don't know. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been in situations like this, not with these people, but situations like this, that that's what these folks do. They'll sit there and they'll be like, I don't know what you're, wait, this is the first time hearing of it. When you know that's not true. In the wake of the Me Too movement, right, in the wake of what, what has happened, right, we see time and time again, it's the same exact pattern. This is not new. Unions, just like any other institution, are institutions of people. They're embedded in a patriarchal, racist country. And unless you work actively against those things, you make it possible for your own institutions to become tainted by and defined by those things. We need a labor movement worthy of the name. So like I said, I put the link in the show. I really encourage people to go out and kind of follow Rick Smith. If you have not already, you go at the Rick Smith show. Follow what's going on there and pay attention to the story. All my labor brothers and sisters out there. Why does this matter to me per se? I am a union member. As I've been known to say on multiple times, I bleed union. I have believed in what the working class can do when it organizes for itself on its own interests. When we work together and I was part of a team that helped design a strike from the ground up and felt that solidarity. And it was a, it was a, it was an exhausting and beautiful moment. And I, and I know it is incredibly difficult to hold that, hold on to that. It didn't even take long, even after our strike for like just petty nonsense to just kind of like start to break down those bonds of solidarity. They're so fragile. And look, I mean, my union, ABSCUF, is not is not a member of the PA AFL CIO, but I can tell you one thing. I'll tell you I'll tell you this one story. I'll tell you two stories about Frank Snyder. What what I know about him. I had been at um, in part at the PA Progressive Summit, right? That used to be held in Harrisburg. I'd hear people say make comments about Frank Schneider, right? No one ever told me details, right? Except what I heard from Rick, what Rick had told me. But just you'd hear people say, and they all kind of like roll their eyes or whatever like this, right? So you know there's something going on, but whatever. I was, I, I don't know, right? And it's kind of like, you know, I, I, I'm not one who likes to like repeat, you know, hearsay from like three steps removed, 
I, I find that toxic. But there were people who were there on the front lines working with that who were clearly reacting and saying things in a way that suggested that they know something, right? What it was, I wasn't sure, but it was always kind of this kind of stuff, right? And I remember he, uh, at one of our uh, union's legislative assembly, he was invited to speak as a keynote speaker as part of a dinner. And I was sitting with one of the uh, ABSCOF staff members. And, uh, you know, she was a younger staff member. She's not there anymore. She's not there anymore. And uh, she was great. She was awesome. Right. And uh, we're sitting at the same table and we get talking and she says, um, oh, God, it's so great that he's here. I'm so glad we were able to get him to here. And I was like, I guess I don't know if he's really what we want there. And I kind of caught myself and she's like, what? Why? And I'm like, again, not wanting to repeat rumors three, four, like deep. All I said to her was something along the lines of, look, I just heard people who are deeply uncomfortable with him as as a leader in the PFL-CIL that he's doing more damage than otherwise. She says, what do you mean? I'm like, I, I don't look, I really don't know details, but I know enough people that I, that I that I trust that are really not happy with this guy. I said, just be careful. That's all I said to her. Right. And then that was kind of kind of the end of the conversation. I just that sticks in my brain. The second time, and I I had no idea, like, you know, again, I, I who he is as a person, I've never really been around the guy other than kind of like very brief interactions at some of these functions, right? Where I'm just kind of walking by him or something like this. I'm not a big schmoozer. I don't, I'm not good with that anyways, but whatever. The second time I saw him, this is when I, this is, or maybe that maybe maybe I'm flipping the order. Maybe the other one came first. We had uh, when when Governor Corbett was proposing a fifty percent cut. Former Governor Cor- Corbett was uh, supposing a uh, proposing a fifty percent cut to the state system of higher education. We had a, a we had been we went to the Capitol numerous times for rallies, for protests, for kind of like for lobbying, kind of against this, right? To organize against these cuts, right? That was happening at the same time. To remember, this is 2011. This is right before we, uh, right before we launched Raging Chicken, right? And this is one of the reasons why I launched Raging Chicken, is that um, the folks in the labor movement and students and community members and farmers had gone in and occupied the state capitol. In response to Governor Walker's, you know, anti-union, anti-people <laughs> moves that he was making. And like I've said on this show a thousand and one times, we saw that these moves were coming closer to here. And we saw the same kind of proposals coming from Governor Corbett's office. And there was this labor rally at the Capitol, which is like, it's like there was rallies, huge rallies and occupations of the Capitol in Wisconsin. And then in Ohio, and we saw in Indiana, it was happening. And the Pennsylvania labor movement was coming together for this. And I was on the steps, right? We're kind of walking in because... Everyone was on the steps. You had this rally, this one part of the rally, and everyone starts to walk up the steps and converge on the Capitol. We're going in, and we're going in to stay. That was kind of what I kept on hearing, right? And so I'm walking up there, and I'm like, you know, um, I can't remember who I was with at the time. We walk up, and we kind of come around this corner looking for these doors to go in, what doors are kind of open to go in. And we come around this this, this kind of this little nook, this little area by a door, and there's Frank Snyder, like standing up on there, kind of all these cameras around him, right? 
and he gives this like impassioned speech that this is our house, the people's house, and blah, 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 right? And people are excited, right? People are, yes, that's right. Finally, we're standing up for ourselves. We're going to go in, right? And people are cheering, right? And then he kind of concludes his prepared remarks. The cameras go off and the media turns away and starts to walk away. And everyone there is ready to go in. They're like, yes, let's go in. And he stops them. He says, what are you doing? No, we're not going in. No, we're not going in. What are you doing? No, move back. And I'm sitting there and I'm dumbfounded. I look at people around me and these are like steel workers. I think there were mine workers that were kind of in this, in this group. They were kind of like, asked me, they were kind of like looking at each other like, but like kind of like, but you just said, we, we're, that's, we're here. But for him, it was a media moment. It was about him. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that, that experience of being like, whoa. And having all these people around me just kind of look, looking at him in disbelief and looking at each other like, wait a minute, did I misunderstand something here? And they're all like, I, I don't know. Those are my two memories. So, anyways, follow Rick Smith at, at the Rick Smith Show on Twitter. Um, find out what's going on. Follow the story closely. I'm telling you that um, eyes need to be on this because, look, I can tell you this is that Rick is already being threatened, right, uh, for uh, to have money pulled out of his show because most of his support comes from organized labor. And it is a moment when we're going to see which side people are on. So, having said that. All right, I'm going to take another quick break and collect myself a little bit. And then we'll come back with a um, quick closeout for the day. All right, this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. We'll be back right after this message. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken Press. For the past seven years, Raging Chicken Press has brought pull-no-punches, progressive reporting and commentary to the interwebs. Our long-form investigative pieces, stories that no access journalist wants to touch, or rollicking weekly podcasts strive to advance progressive movements and perspectives rooted in the struggles happening across the country or down the street. We've broken national stories and caused our share of discomfort in the halls of power. If we want a progressive future, we need progressive media. And you can help support Pull No Punches, homegrown progressive media today. Become a member of Raging Chicken Press for as little as $5 a month. Simply go to patreon.com slash rcpress and choose your membership level. We need to make sure to keep the movement in the media and the media in the movement. Best way you can do that is to become a member of Raging Chicken today by going to patreon.com slash rcpress. Thank you for your energy, your encouragement, and your support. Keep up the fight.
everybody, everybody, welcome back. It's this week's last call where we talk about whatever. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to just close out today's dungeon. I mean, it's a dungeon run. Uh, close out today's um, show um, with a, a heartfelt thanks to the folks who um, make the dungeon run. Um, the dungeon run is, um, you know, it's it's. It's one of these, you know, online tabletop play. Let me just get, hold on a second. Here we go. So want to get to their official website. There we go. Come on, come on, come on. Take me there. Take me there. Take me there. Okay. So the Dungeon Run, it's a, um, you know, it's, they are playing Dungeons and Dragons. And it's one of these streaming things. You might have heard of Critical Role. Critical Role's gotten kind of like a ton of, uh, you know, um, accolades. It's kind of putting the stuff on the map. And it's, uh, especially during covid um, people playing Dungeons and Dragons in there. And a lot of times they're, you know, done by voice actors. That was true with Critical Role. And that was also true with the Dungeon Run. The Dungeon Run is uh, the story that I've told I've told on the show before is that, you know, I was just starting to kind of getting back into um, Dungeons and Dragons. And I thought, you know, during COVID, I was like, you know what? I should just start learning how to, how to Dungeon Master, to DM so I could do some campaigns for my kids so we can do this together and things like this. And they started becoming interested in this stuff. And so I thought, okay, this is a perfect time. And I was, I was home, um, last summer and in August and my brother Ryan was there and he was like, uh, and I was telling him about this and he was saying that, oh yeah, I actually just ran a campaign with my friends or, you know, we've just been doing this. I'm like, that's cool. And then I said, yes, yeah. I, said, I, I said, I've been trying to, you know, watch, learn how to do this by some of these online shows and stuff. Like, and he's like, uh, I, I asked him, said, you know, Critical Role? And he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, Critical Role is OK. He said, I like I really prefer the dungeon run. I'm like, oh, I don't know this. And he's like, yeah, he's like, the storytelling is just is just phenomenal. I just, you know, that's what I like. So, oh, OK, I'll give it a shot. So what is it called? Look it up. I come back. In, I come back home. And then I've got about like two and a half weeks before my semester. It's like the final crunch time. You're uh, preparing all the final materials and all this kind of stuff. I was very, very um, not in a good space about going back to work at Kutztown um, for a variety of reasons. Um, not, you know, the least of which was COVID and the way that um, COVID has been handled at my university. Um, but a bunch of other reasons. And so I started watching this while I was doing preparations. And it's like, you know, again... It, I don't think I could have just watched it, watched it for this because each show is like three hours long, right? So, but I'm doing all this work, all this prep work and stuff. So I would have it on in the background. I just got totally hooked on the story. And it really is. It's like, you know, one of the differences between this show and a bunch of the other ones that uh, that foreground, say, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff is that they really pitch this as kind of like a PG, maybe PG-13 show, right? Um, so, you know, what you get in some of the sh other shows, it's kind of like, you know, borderline you know, where, you know, we're dropping the F-bomb every other minute is still a cool thing to do. So they do, you know, it's like stuff like that or becomes kind of like super sexualized and things like this. And that's just not my thing. Right. Just like, you know, I, I'm interested in the story and, you know, the, the arc and stuff. And that's what they did. And Jeff Kanata, who I now I've learned is like a legend in kind of voice acting and um, kind of in the kind of geekdom world um, through his podcasts and stuff. Um, he put together this this world of Ein that was just incredible. And the stories that they told were incredible. And, you know, this is also happening in the wake of when they first started was before COVID, right? It was before the COVID lockdown. And so 
they were doing this campaign as we saw the murder of George Floyd, as we saw the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, as we saw these kind of this Republican backlash against all this extremists. And they never, well, I shouldn't say they never did, but they, it wasn't like they would come on the show and foreground that stuff and talk about that for a while, but it made it into the story. Both for the voice voice actors who played the characters and for the dungeon master, like they built it into the story about how we treat each other. It had a strongest undercurrent of anti-racism, right? About empathy, about love, you know. And it was just say it was incredible, and it was just a great story, not just about that stuff, but also just the story itself was like whoa. I mean, there were times I walked away from that. And I'm just like, whoa, that was a crazy story, right? I mean, you ever read the read a book and you kind of you have these moments of amazement where your your mind is still filled with the scenes that you were just reading about because you just kind of like went unexpected twists and stuff. That's what like the show was like. So, anyways, for whatever reason, I really connected with the show, and I thought that was uh, it got me through personally, right? That kind of hump. Right. Where I was feeling really as cynical as I felt in recent memory. <laughs> OK. And I felt like the show helped me build back some of that hope. And it might sound completely cheesy. It might sound completely, you know, I don't know, childish, if you will. But it, nonetheless, it did. And it it meant a lot to me. Right. And then as the show, as I kind of caught up on these episodes, because they just concluded with like episode 115 this past week. So it was 115 episodes at about three to four hours an episode. You could do the math. I'm ashamed to do so. Right. Because I did went through the entire season since August. I caught up before Christmas. Right. So um, but it was it was. It was it was something special for me and it meant a lot. And um the I, I'm not one that gets wrapped into kind of celebrity culture and things like this. It just kind of tends to really like I just go over my head or just kind of just, you know, whatever and annoy me. Um, but if I felt like this here, the other part of it was that the fans of the show, um, they started the discord server for this. Right. Um, and they built up this entire community around the show. That I have not seen in online communities, right, where people were it wasn't just it wasn't just about like ranting about bad stuff. It wasn't just kind of like, you know, it wasn't people attacking each other and stuff, but it was people looking to do cool things and sharing stuff and, and helping each other out. It was I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to paint too rosy a brush here, but it was like it really was a beautiful thing. And he and then Jeff Kanata kind of started to build that community into the storyline. It was just crazy. It was crazy cool. It was just crazy cool. So anyways. They just concluded their first campaign was called uh, the Heroes of Bingle. Um, that was the um, the group that was uh, playing in that um, um, playing in that uh, group of characters that that um, the party that was running the show. Um, that's Heroes of Bingles. That just came to a conclusion on um, Wednesday night, and um, I thank them for all the work that they've done and uh, and for what they gave. You know what they gave. It's really impressive. Now, having said that, um, I gotta also make sure that the the dungeon run as an organization, as a space for this kind of like collaborative storytelling um, with that same kind of ethos at its core, has not gone away. They just concluded this campaign. They started up another campaign. Um, a couple. Boy, let's see. It was. Um, it was when. 
I don't know, maybe about a month ago, I want to say. It was um, a new campaign that they're saying, I'm looking to see if I had this. I can't remember. I can't think of the name. Anyways, but they started up a new campaign. They just had the first kind of introductory um, uh, episode. And now they are going to, uh, that's going to be kind of coming up. And then they're going to have two of the characters who played um, on the show um, are now going to co-DM. Which they were like, I don't think I don't know if I have anybody seen anybody do this before, but they're going to code DM. They're going to start a new um, campaign over the summer. So that's all going on. So thank you. Shout out to the Dungeon Run. Um, I appreciate everything you all did um, and continue to do. And uh, I just wanted to use this as an opportunity um, to thank them, say, in this kind of public way. So anyways, um, and now it's my time to thank all of you. Um, thank you for kind of supporting the show. Uh, for those of you who've been with us since God from 2011, um, thank you for supporting the show. If you're uh, kind of a new member, a new patron, um, and thank you if you you tweet out our stuff, you share our stuff, you shoot me emails just to kind of see what's going on. You pass me information, um, and generally kind of doing the hard work on the ground, right? I mean. You know, I'm behind this mic. This is kind of like one of the kind of venues that I hope to kind of amplify the, the amazing organizing that is happening on the ground. I mean, there are there are incredible organizers out there that I'm in awe of, uh, and I hope that I can learn some things from them um, moving forward. Um, but I want to thank all of you for help supporting the show, and I hope that um, we're going to continue to build on this. Uh, we're going to continue to build on this, and we're going to, one, for those of you who are located in Bucks County, we're going to defend this county. We're going to build it up, and we're going to make it something that it can be um, and not seed ground to the extremists. So anyways, this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Thank you all for tuning in today. Um, appreciate the time. Appreciate all the work that you're doing. Um, appreciate your thoughts, your concerns, your hopes and dreams. All right. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. I am out of here. We'll see you on Monday uh, for Out to Coop Live with David Becker. And we'll be back again next Friday with maybe a special guest. All right. We'll see you then. I'm out of here. See ya.